0: Hi, welcome to the podcast, An English Prof Reads the Bible. I'm your host, Megan, and today we're talking about Psalm 61. With this psalm, I'm not really going to be focusing so much on teaching you new literary devices. We've talked a lot about implied meaning, imagery, ambiguity, a lot of stuff that's important to understanding poetry, which the psalms are. With this psalm, uh, we'll we'll be using all of those literary devices, but we're going to be concentrating on its spiritual meaning. And I'm really enjoying getting into the spiritual meaning of this psalm a little bit more because this was one of the very first psalms that I actually read as poetry, putting my English major skills to work and so I'm enjoying coming back to it in this context. So with that said, let's get going. Just like usual I'm going to read the psalm and then we'll unpack some of what it means. Psalm 61. Hear my cry, O God, attend my prayer. From the end of the earth I will cry to you when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been a shelter for me, a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in your tabernacle forever. I will trust in the shelter of your wings. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. You will prolong the king's life, his years, as many generations. You shall abide before God forever. O oh, prepare mercy and truth which may preserve him. So I will sing praise to your name forever, that I may daily perform my vows. All right, so let's take a look at the first verse and get our footing in regards to this psalm. Hear my cry, O God. Attend to my prayer. We can infer two different things from the speaker's choice of words here. First of all, the word cry indicates that the speaker is in trouble. And not just trouble, but a deep emotional distress of some urgency. Uh, Cry indicates, uh, you know, deep emotion, passion, uh, a sense that somebody has moved beyond logic. It's also used, um, you know, we talk about babies crying. And babies cry when they have a, an important need. They're hungry or they need to be changed or they're in pain. And so for the speaker to use it here suggests he similarly desperately needs something from God. The second thing that we can infer um, is from the fact that the speaker is addressing God. This is the psalmist, David, talking directly to God. And the words "hear" and attend are command words. They're in the imperative voice. Like we talked about um, with Psalm 51, the... Uh, The speaker is not commanding God to do anything that would be inappropriate, but the imperative voice indicates that the speaker is begging God. He's desperate. And so what that tells me is that based on David's address to God here, it's appropriate, it's normal for us to address God when we find ourselves in difficulty. And with this as a background, I think that the psalm raises two questions about the help that God provides us. One is, what kind of help does God provide when we're in trouble? And the second one is, what does this help do for us? How does it affect the problem that we find ourselves in? Verse two lays out what's going on with the speaker to kind of help us understand these questions. It gives us um, a little bit of context for the help that God provides. From the end of the earth, I will cry to you, David says, when my heart is overwhelmed. I want you to notice the imagery here from the end of the earth. I think the end of the earth and I think the Australian outback or maybe Tierra del Fuego in Argentina or possibly the Sahara Desert. One of these places that takes a 16-hour plane ride to actually reach. You're isolated and you're on your own. And so we sense from this imagery that the speaker is feeling very isolated. He is very isolated. He doesn't have anyone to support him but God, which is why he is calling out to God. I'm also struck by the fact that he he talks about his heart being overwhelmed. He can't handle it anymore. He's got an inability to deal. And it's in this situation that he goes to God. He asks for God's help which suggests that in our inadequacy, in our insufficiency, in all our problems, God is there for us. But in what way is he there for us? How so? What does that actually look like? The rest of the psalm goes on and answers that. So let's move on to the next couple of verses. I love this next part. Lean me to the rock that is higher than I. I just, I think that's a beautiful image but to unpack it as literature, it's important to notice that rock, rock is of course often associated with God, it's associated with Christ. The imagery or the implication of a rock is this thing that's strong, firm, it's everlasting, it's going to hold through the very worst that life dishes out for us. And it's also a rock that is higher than I, implying that it's greater that it's more powerful that we lose ourselves in it which implies that in in this moment of trouble we are able to lose ourselves in the greater plan and purpose of God the word lead is especially interesting in that context because it's another imperative or command word but What the speaker is commanding God to do is really interesting. He's commanding him to lead. So if I'm out on a hike, say, with my family, and somebody gets out in front, we might say to them, lead on. We're going to follow you. In this context, lead becomes um, something that we do to command. It's a commanding action. And so the speaker here is essentially commanding God to command him. He is submitting to God's greater divine plan for his life. So that's what's being said about the kind of help that God offers in difficulty. But there's something very important that's also not being said. The speaker doesn't say anything about God giving him stuff or fixing his problem or offering some kind of relief. Nothing. All he talks about is God giving him himself finding himself in God's plan. And so what that suggests to me is that God doesn't always answer our requests. He gives us himself. Another way to put it is God is not a cosmic vending machine. We don't put in a little prayer coin and get out what we asked for. We get God and God's plan for us. The next couple of verses elaborate on this and reinforce this idea. For you have been a shelter for me, a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in your tabernacle forever. I will trust in the shadow of your wings. God is our shelter. He is our tower. And both of these are defensive, I want to say weapons, but that's not quite the right word. They're defensive places. They protect us from the battle, but the battle still is raging down below. Similarly, God is not necessarily going to make our problems go away. They're still going to be there. They're still going to be plaguing us. He's just protecting us from them. We are shielded in him, in the divine plan. It's really interesting to me, too, that the speaker says that he's going to abide in God's tabernacle because tabernacle is, of course, a place of worship. And so for the speaker to associate his submission to God's plan with his abiding in God's tabernacle implies that this submission to God, this willingness uh, to follow him, to rely on him for for help in times of trouble is is an act of worship. It's an act of worship to find our place in God. But the final thing in this passage that I think is the most interesting is the fact that the speaker trusts in the in the shelter of God's wings. Because this, of course, pictures God as a mother hen, and she is sheltering her little chicks under her wings. And of course, she's sheltering them from the sun, but she's also sheltering them from predators. If a hawk or something flies overhead, they look down, they only see the mother bird. They don't see her chicks. But to do this, this means that the mother bird is exposing herself to the hawk. She's putting herself at risk. And so that suggests that God, too, puts himself at risk for us. He sacrifices for us in Christ, and it is in that sacrificial love that we find peace. Okay, so the next couple of verses are some of the most challenging to accept in this psalm. We talk a lot about how God will give us peace in the midst of our trials, but if you're anything like me, you probably don't spend a lot of time thinking about what that actually means. We still kind of hope that God's going to come through for us and make our problems go away. And I think the second half of this psalm indicates otherwise. So here's what David says. For you, O God, have heard my vows. And then he asks God to prolong the king's life. He asks that the king will abide before God. He asks for mercy and truth for the king. And two things to note here. Uh, The first, and the simpler one, is the fact that David uses the word vows instead of the word prayers. I always kind of read this as a fancy word for the word prayers, but it's very much not the word prayers, and so in preparing for this episode, I did a little bit of thinking about, well, why in the world would David use the word vows? And I think that vows are a little bit more involved, right? They're committing, you, you think of And I think the vows are a little bit more involved. Uh, You're committing to do something. You think of wedding vows. A prayer, again, a prayer is often just a request. We put our coin in, we want to get something out. And so the speaker's word choice suggests that... Accessing the help that God provides requires a commitment on his part. It's a relationship. He has to commit to engaging with God and being with God in order to feel peace in God's plan for him. It's participatory, in other words. But the second thing that I think is really interesting here, and this is the difficult part, is... David makes this request that God will prolong the king's life. And all my life, I always read that as the king being David. And so David is essentially asking that God will prolong his life, that David's life, that David will abide before God forever, that uh, God will be merciful to David, etc. And so without reading, everything seems to come out all right. In the end, for David, right? He's gone through this really difficult situation that he's feeling overwhelmed by. He finds peace in God. And then he ends with this expectation that God will give him a long life and will give him peace. But I don't think that's what's going on in the psalm. Because it doesn't make any sense for David to suddenly switch from talking about himself in the first person, my and I and me, to talking about himself in the third person, the king. And so I think what's really going on here is that the king is Saul. And so David is asking for God to prolong Saul's life. He's asking God that Saul will stand before God forever. He's asking that Saul have have mercy and truth. He's essentially asking that Saul get to keep the kingdom. And we have, you know, the support for this, right? If you go back into... Um, the books of Samuel and the Bible, you can see that David really doesn't want to go in there and kill Saul before God is done with him. He's he's very adamant, actually, about protecting Saul's life. And so it's not out of character for David to pray for Saul's well-being here. But it's also seriously weird because God has promised the kingdom to David. And if God keeps Saul on the throne and gives Saul a long life and lets Saul you know, have all his mercy and grace and his good favor, then it sure seems like God is breaking his promise to David. And so David is in this place where he is not seeing God's promises fulfilled. God is apparently unfaithful to him, and yet he's able to trust in God's love and greater plan. He's able to rejoice in God's bountiful mercy and goodness to the point that he prays for God's mercy to be bestowed on his enemy. He's able to distinguish between the appearance that it looks like God's not coming through for him and the reality that God still loves him and has a, and has a good plan for him. And so this brings us to the very last verse. So I will sing praise to your name that I may daily perform my vows. The word sing, of course, implies rejoicing. And so it suggests to me that David is in this tough place. And yet his trust in God, his trust in the reality of God's love, helps him to find joy, even in this really difficult situation. And then the word vows suggests that his trust in God actually also enables him to continue to participate in his relationship with God, continue to engage with God through God's mercy to him, even though it seems like God is not holding up his end of the bargain. And so this brings us to the application. Now, if you're like me, this is a tough psalm. We pray and we want God to answer our prayers. Uh, We want him to give us what we ask for. And the psalm suggests that he doesn't always do that, and we have to be okay with that. And so I think it's worth reminding ourselves that even though it appears that God has forgotten about us, that he's dealing unjustly with us, that that he's not listening to our prayers, that in reality, he loves us. He cares for us, and he has this higher plan that we can find purpose and meaning in. And that leaves us with the question, you know, in in times of difficulty, do you ask for stuff? Do you ask for relief for your problems? Or do you, do I, because this is for me too, submit to God, to his love and to his greatness? Do you trust in the reality of that love and not in the appearance of it? The literary application, of course, is remember to look for imagery. Think about the implied meaning of words, but I also want you to think about the assumptions you may be making about the text and be willing to question those. Like I mentioned, all my life I grew up thinking that the king referred to here was David, and my understanding of the psalm, understanding of the psalm um, was absolutely turned on its head when I realized the king is probably Saul. And so keep an eye out for what, what you're taking for granted about the text and be willing to realize that your assumptions may not be accurate. All right, this brings us to the end of An English Prof Reads the Bible. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode. If you did enjoy it, share us with your friends, subscribe to us on your podcast app, check out our Facebook page or our WordPress site, An English Prof Reads the Bible, and check back next week for another episode. Have a good week!